This is One Universe at a Time. I'm Brian Coverline. If you're a sports fan, you're probably familiar with the statistics of your favorite players. And those aren't just for fun. They can also be used to determine how strong a team is, or perhaps even to make money, as in the movie Moneyball. On our show today is Dr. Matt Hoffman, Assistant Professor of Mathematics at the Rochester Institute of Technology, and he's going to talk to us about the statistics of sports. I am not a big sports fan, so I'm roughly familiar with some of these statistics. When you look at these, what, what type of statistics do you think are important, and how do you use them? Really, it's going to depend somewhat on the sport you're looking at. We got into this talking because we just hosted a big hockey analytics conference on campus. But really, most of the things that people are interested in, uh, you know, statistics have been around in sports and been very popular for a long time. It's just sort of more recently, people have been trying to dive deeper into really parsing the statistics and trying to figure out how to really use them to determine the true worth of individual players, right? And that's that's sort of the holy grail in the analytics, looking at the sports, is, is trying to figure out how to actually quantify, put a number on how valuable somebody has been. Right. Based um, on their statistics. Based on their statistics. And people have always been looking at stats. You mentioned Moneyball. Baseball is sort of the where most of this started. Statistics are a really important part of baseball. Um, there's so many, you know, these big numbers that people care about, you know, 500 home runs and you know, 20 strikeouts in a game. You know, baseball is the sport of, of numbers. And people have been looking about at this for a while it's just that the numbers that people are looking at, you know, have been sort of transitioning. And there's there's been a real speed up over the past, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years, longer maybe in baseball. But hockey, you know, is maybe the last 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. um, of people trying to trying to figure out what's important, right? Baseball pitchers is a classic example because you talked about a pitcher and the Cy Young Award winner was always winning 20 games, right? You hit 20 games, suddenly you were the best pitcher. You know, you were you were worthy of awards, but you had a great season. And if you won 11 games, you did not have a great season. Mm-hmm. Um, but as people looked into it more, they were actually able to show in the statistics that, uh, in fact, you have less control over uh, the amount of games that you win as people might have thought. Right. So it looks okay. it's a great it's a great number, and we certainly like talking about someone being a winner. But when it comes down to it, you can give up one run, your team can score zero, and you're going to lose. And it's not your fault. Right. A lot of this uh, people have been working on is trying to figure out what you can actually control, what you can't control, and what you can measure about how well people do the things you can control. So this is really like trying to find the signal out of the noise. Yeah. And, and things like a lot of the statistics that we've been looking at have been noise. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the signal and the noise, right? Um, this is Nate Silver's book. And uh, Nate Silver, one of the first things he did was develop a system called Pakoda for baseball forecasting. So most of this starts with a guy named Bill James in, in baseball who published a book a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You talk about things like when we're talking about pitchers, strikeouts have become more important because a pitcher actually has some control about strikeouts. One of the interesting things in baseball that people have found is that once the ball's in play, you really don't have a lot of control over it for the most part. Now, there's, there's some sort of, if you give up a lot of ground balls versus a lot of fly balls, in general, you know, you think of, oh, a really good pitcher is going to have people have less hits, but for the most part, once the ball's in play, it's largely out of your control, right? right. Besides, you know, there's defense that can affect it and things like that. So, in hockey, for example, right, um, one of the big things that, that was done early on was people looking at things like shooting percentages and save percentages. 
And for the most part, those are fairly standard. So more and more people have been trying to dig into is a specific player better at a specific type of shot or from a specific location. But one of the first stats that was um, really popular in hockey was, you'll see it as PDO, and, and it's basically just adding up your shooting percentage as a team and your save percentage as a team. And the idea being, um, as it turns out, you don't have a ton of control over your shooting percentage and your save percentage because there's a lot of randomness that goes on. A lot right. of it is so just... playing against any other teams, you're going to have pretty much the same no matter what. Yeah, and there might be some underlying skill there, but over time, they, they sort of go to the league average. And so um, if you then add them together, right, they should be about 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're doing better than that, it probably means you're lucky. If you're doing worse than that, it probably means that you're unlucky rather than than good, at least at the NHL level. Yeah. And so this is this became something that people would use as a as a measure of trying to figure out which teams might get better or regress, right? Based on oh, you know, this team did really well this year, but it looks like they got really lucky. I think they're going to do worse next year. Right. Yeah. And that kind of brings up the thing of how people think with sports is that you know when someone has a hitting streak or or they're they're on fire as it yes. were, people think well if they've made three in a row so far. That must mean something. Yeah. And it sounds like the statistics would say, well, no, it doesn't really mean something. Yeah, and the interesting thing is you get sort of, you dig more and more into it. And and I think there might have been something in basketball recently. I wish I could remember what it is, but I think I saw that actually there was some there was some indication that that there might be some sort of hot shooting at some level, I believe. Okay. I, I saw that. But yeah, I mean, and it starts sort of more general, right, at a team level, and now you're trying to dig into the individual players, right? Okay. And, and a lot of times you're trying to see, trying to get a better feel of what you are seeing, right, to actually quantify what you're seeing, mm-hmm. and you want the stats to agree with what you see at some level. I mean, you hope they do, right? The interesting so I, thing I, is when I they see don't. this is a good team and I want to have the statistics. There's still this level of having an idea of what the game is like, and if you if you run the stats... And a lot of players you know aren't very good or showing up at the top. It's probably your statistic that's wrong, (laughs) right? Um, (laughs) You know, you get some really interesting things where you see, when you see people talk about this, it's normally like, hey, we've got this statistic. And hey, you can see at the top, here are these three players. I know it's pretty well agreed that these three players are very, very good. Mm -hmm. Showing up right here is this player who most people don't think is very good. So he's an interesting case because there's something about him that when you're watching you might not see but actually if you if you run the data this makes it seem like he's, he's very interesting so these these players tend to be tend to be interesting and this is sort of what moneyball was about was trying to find these players that most people looked at and said eh. right. right but actually in the, if you ran the numbers they were telling you that that they actually were more helpful to success right. than you might have in thought. an indirect way or in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think like someone who only bats first base yes you know they never hit the home run so their statistics are awful but they always get on the base right an on-base percentage was one of the big things in right. baseball that that was one of the big things with Moneyball that did first came up was people talk about home runs and rbis is another category right. is another category where you know runs batted in sluggers are you know really good at producing runs they have a high rbis you get to 100 rbis you've had a great year but actually, that depends on someone being on base when you get the hit. Right. right. So right. you don't have total control over that, whereas on-base percentage is something that you have a lot better control on. Um, in, the, in hockey, the sort of most basic stat that first became popular was something called Corsi, which is actually just is shots, essentially. Um, because uh, in football, you probably hear people talk about time of possession as being mm-hmm. an indicator of success. Um, and in hockey... 
the same is kind of true, right? If you have the puck, you're going to be right. more likely to be doing well. And the NHL never kept track of time on ice, right? And never kept track of possession. And so what people instead had to do was take a look at shots. Because shots, if you have the puck, you're more likely to shoot. You're not going to shoot if you don't have the puck. So at the first, you know, first order level, right, this is what people um, grabbed onto. They could get shots. They could get block shots. And it turned out that correlated very well with winning, right? There's only a handful of goals in a normal hockey game. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of a, definitely a lot of randomness there. And so actually shots ended up being a better predictor than goals right. uh, to, for what's going to happen in the future because it was had a lot more of an indication of what happened in the full game and, and the actual performance. And it seems like part of this would depend upon the fact that now that we videotape games, we can get far more statistics than we could before. So if you go back to you know baseball in the 1930s, yeah. we don't have fully recorded baseball games, so we only have the statistics that are left over. Right. And uh, a lot of the interesting things that are happening now coming with some of this, you've got this video, but the actual technology to parse it really mostly manpower at mm -hmm. this point some people like in baseball right um pitch tracks is they, they now have these things in the stadiums that actually measure pitch location and pitch speed um, and that has allowed people to do some really cool analysis with things like trying to measure how important it is if a catcher frames the pitch right how much is that worth because you can actually see pitch locations see right. what was a strike and what wasn't and, and actually try to see what the effect was on the total runs that are scored right. okay um basketball in the nba in the past couple years i think it's been two or three years i believe that they've actually had these camera systems installed so they actually can track the actual locations of people on the court okay. and that's been really interesting because um, you know now you have this this sort of massive explosion of data from people trying to go through and figure out combinations of players, how well people are working together, how much spacing is ideal, and these sorts mm -hmm. of things. Um, hockey doesn't have any of that yet, um, although there's been talk of doing one of these type camera systems in the NHL. It's still unclear when uh, that would happen and if the data would be available to people outside the league there's going to be a, a big boom if that ever happens in hockey but for the most part you know as i said we just had this conference here most of what's being done is by the community you know on twitter on message boards and things like that and it's these these massive efforts where people are dedicating their time to go through the video and manually mark up you know specific events and right. to really try to analyze this you're really going down to a very micro level where you're you know it, it's one thing to look at goals or shots and now you get into every time a player carries the puck into the offensive zone, right. what happens? Every time they exchange um, it with another every player. Every time they exchange yeah. it. You know, what happens if you're passing it into the zone versus carrying it into the zone? And, and um, we saw uh, a woman named uh, Jen Lute Costello did a, a presentation where they've tracked it. And they actually have a stopwatch trying to time the amount of time it took a player to shoot from getting the puck, also the amount of time in the offensive zone, and actually trying to categorize these, I mean, at the like tenth of a second level, <laughs> these different types of movements, right, that players are doing, and, and which players are better or prefer to do these types of, of movements versus the other one, and, and actually right. trying, to, trying to then sort them, classify players, right, based on the types of actions that they're doing in a typical game. So kind of statistically determining between yeah. aggressive or passive or intermediate yep. type yeah, of Yeah, yeah, and she was, she was classifying them into sort of players that sort of do it all, players that are sort of 
um, more content or, or better at making a flashy play, sort of a, a big, sort of a, she said, do-it-yourself players, I believe, but mm-hmm. it's sort of a player who's more likely to sort of take a chance, maybe get a steal and, and get a breakaway, um, but but less likely to, to participate in sort of a, a higher build-up play. So that was, that's the sort of, now you're really trying to hone in on, on specific players and specific things that specific players are doing um, to sort of a whole new layer of, of depth. I'm Brian Koberlein, you're listening to One Universe at a Time, and we're talking with Matthew Hoffman about sports statistics. So when we mention Moneyball, it seems one of the questions that comes to me would be, is this kind of ruining the sport? The idea that if if we're going to overanalyze this, is it simply like the Yankees where it's the best team the money can buy? I guess now now it depends on exactly what your interest is in in the game. You know, I think there certainly are stereotypical casual fan who says oh you're you're ruining my sport with all these statistics right um (laughs) charles barkley in the nba Mm -hmm. he said in one of the halftime shows something along the lines of analytics is this it's nonsense it's this thing that's been invented by people who want to be part of the game but aren't talented athletically (laughs) Um, (laughs) is basically the gist of what he said Mm -hmm. so there's definitely some pushback it's definitely been accepted in the sense that if you look at just about every single pro sports team they now hire analytics people i think every nhl team except one as far as i know hires you know employs statisticians analytics people at some level the amount of money they spend on that versus other things who knows um but so from a professional level i think it's it's been pretty well accepted that that there are useful things you can do and and again all, all it takes is finding one player who you sign as a free agent or one player who you don't sign as a free agent who you shouldn't have, mm-hmm. and suddenly you've saved yourself millions of dollars, right? right. So there's a there's a potential high return on investment from a, a business perspective of these teams. Um, in terms of watching it, um, I think that as a big sports fan myself, I enjoy it, right? I, I like I like hearing all of these things. Says and the mathematician. Says the mathematician who likes sports. <laughs> yes, I, I think it's really fun, and and I think it makes the post-game stuff a lot more interesting because I guess the other way to think about actually some of the writing and talking that goes on gets a little bit more frustrating because you know you hear things you're like that's, that doesn't matter stop talking about that I know yeah. I know that that we've showed that the people have showed that that doesn't matter you know <laughs> it's one of those things that any just talking about statistics or analytics sounds scarier than it often is right you know and, and the NHL for example right Corsi was this stat and it means shots mm-hmm. right NHL had two years ago or something updated their stats pages and they put this up and they're not calling it they're not calling it Corsi anymore they're mm-hmm. calling it shots and there was a corresponding stat called Fenwick which was basically shots minus block shots the idea being blocking a shot as a skill I, I want to distinguish these at some level but that's no longer called Fenwick on the NHL because calling it these things makes them seem a little bit harder to deal with than right. you just call it shots or Those unblocked shots. shots suddenly that makes a little bit more sense right so I think from that level People are trying to make it more accessible. Um, I think it's becoming pretty well accepted that mm-hmm. most people watching the games, you definitely see TV broadcasts and people trying to integrate it more to varying levels of effectiveness in terms of appreciating right. actually watching the game. It's, it's something that, that certainly can get in your way if used incorrectly. Right. Um, it would seem like a lot of pregame <clears throat> discussions would be th- that way too. Is it when yeah. you? I know the statistics. You know the statistics, and I can say, "Well, no. See, the numbers look up. My team's going to win. Your yeah. team's going to lose, and here's well, why." Yeah, well, in some ways, actually, um, 
most of this ends up being probabilistic. So it actually renders some of the discussion a little bit moot because, you know, it's kind of a, oh, well, it, you know, it seems like whatever this happened, it was the right decision because there was a 63% chance of success about it didn't work out. That just, you know, it was a bad dice roll, right? And so you end up sitting around at the bar going, oh, yeah, here's to a 35% chance of winning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you get these, you know, at at some level, I think it, it actually, from my perspective as a sports fan, I think it helps me be a little bit less upset when my team loses and they did things intelligently, right? Right. It's helped me, following it a little bit more, it's helped me say as a fan, oh, we lost, but... They're still forty five percent. They did well. Good. Well, yeah, but but it wasn't it wasn't that my team is terrible necessarily, right? They're only twenty five. They did a lot of things, and, and it it happened that you know, the low probability thing came out. Right. I agree. I find conversations with friends and family often being more like, "Well, I understood that decision. I think that was the right decision. It didn't work out. I can't be too upset about it." And maybe some of that's getting older, uh, you know, more mature, yeah. or whatever is yeah. happening. Uh, but I think some of it is having a better understanding and seeing what's going on with with all of the statistics for the most part and it would would do you think it would be the case and then if as teams start accepting this more as teams start implementing this more do you think it will foster kind of more competition like in baseball when people talk about the yankees it's like oh yeah of course the yankees won you know because, <laughs> but it's not a fun game to watch not, not recently not recently yeah. um, not recently but you know if you have this one team that dominates and then yes. all the other teams are kind of secondary yes it's not well, really entertaining people have there's certainly been some questioning of for example with moneyball the a's were this low budget club right a smaller mm-hmm. market club and they were able to find some of these guys who who ha- were undervalued in the market Right, and they were able to employ them, and they won a bunch of AL West division titles. Mm-hmm. Now, they never won the World Series, right? They always lost in the playoffs, right? This was happening in the late '90s, I think, and then, right, the Red Sox have the money. Mm-hmm. They employed some staff, but they actually employed Bill James, who was one of the Red, and but and a front office that really, really liked statistics. Now they win the World Series, right? right. So there's this issue of if you can combine them. Um, suddenly, right. the A's advantage isn't quite as big as it used to be, unless, of course, you can develop either a better statistic that helps you quantify something that someone else did. But the other aspect right. is there's sort of a economics business side of this, which is you want to put a value on things, and you also want to see what the market value is. And that's a part of this. I mean, we've been starting to just very, very beginning phases of trying to work with RIT's hockey team here. They've got a great program. You know, it was a really fun thing that we thought we could have student interest in, um, try to try to get involved at the college level doing some of this analytics um, for the hockey team here. And it's been interesting because you read about a lot of this stuff and a lot of the pro sports metrics are based upon how much is a player worth? Because the real issue is how much is it worth paying that player for what they're giving you? Right, because um, it all that's comes not, down to the money. Yeah, because it all comes down to the money. Now, that's not really an issue in college. I'm not going to make any <laughs> Division One jokes, actually. Um, <laughs> but so that's not an issue. So it's, it's sort right. of a different. But the uh, athletes, the athletes thing. aren't professional athletes. They right. can't the be paid under the they college can't. guidelines. Yeah, so that's the thing. So it's a slightly different thing because because the focus is mostly on the economics in a lot of these sports you're trying to come up with one number and what people are generally trying to quantify is how many wins did a player get are they worth Mm -hmm. right and then how much money is a win worth and Mm -hmm. now you have a value on the player 
You're listening to One Universe at a Time. I'm Brian Korberlein, and we're talking with Matthew Hoffman about sports statistics. So you talked about how a lot of these statistics are gathered by hands, by hobbyists. And you kind of said in passing about how they may be setting up some of these cameras in hockey, but you're not sure whether or not they're going to release this publicly. As you've gotten experience with gathering these statistics, uh, are there any types of statistics that you'd love to get but can't get? I personally would love to get the data that actually has player locations on the ice because I think it would be really neat to do some um, to look at these sort of learning algorithms now you can actually look at spacing now you can look at player location with respect to everyone else because most of the time when when people are tracking you can really track the player with the puck you can you can track a pass you can track a shot almost nobody is tracking more than than essentially that and people people do look at some of these microstats like uh, one thing that people have talked about uh, offense, right? You can measure in shots at some mm-hmm. level, and because mm-hmm. they relate to goals, defense is harder. Um, Goaltending is probably even harder. Having mm-hmm. having an idea of how to measure those, no one's really figured out great ways to do it so far. But one thing on defense, right, that that I've seen people look at is you can look at the defender, and you look can look at when an offensive player is bringing the puck towards them. Right? You can look at the spacing, you can look at their positioning, mm-hmm. and 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 try to get a sense of of what they are doing to either push back push or, back or, or, or give them space to this. Right. So you can, you can look at these sort of space-based things. So people have looked at, tried to track some of these things by hand where I'm looking at the player bringing the puck, I'm looking at the defender, and, and I'm trying to get a sense for how much space they're giving them, right? But if you have actual uh, tracking for all the players on the ice, suddenly you can you really get a sense for, for what's happening there. Um, I think some of the defensive metrics... Uh, you can, yeah, might be able to be developed a lot better, okay. which would be really nice. And from the offensive end, um, I think just having a, a sense of the spacing of the whole whole team, things like shots with different number of players in front of the net, you know, what what the advantages is to that, um, those sorts of things. Actually, but actually being able to look at the full picture of what's happening um, and make conclusions from that, and actually being able to have a database of all of these different shots but not just the shot but everyone on the ice at the time of the shot right mm-hmm. and and really being able to go through this database to make predictions about what would happen in the future i think is sort of the really really exciting thing that could happen there i'm hopeful that maybe we can actually do some of that here down the road if things go well because we do have right. some good engineering and imaging science and things right. like that 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 it would make a a natural project at some point you know from a, a goalkeeping perspective technology similar to the pitch track stuff in baseball where you actually have sort of speed and locations pinpointed right now um, how the puck is moving where it's yeah moving, how might make it moving. yeah right. um and also from a shooting perspective i mean if you can if you're able to track that better maybe you could have a better idea of what the actual skill is of the offensive players with their shots right, right? if you're measuring more than just shooting percentage the nhl has experimented with putting uh chips in the puck mm-hmm. um that's i mean that's that's something that they did a long time ago with that ill-fated Fox Puck Tracks um, <laughs> system. Uh, it went away, and, and it came back. They they played around with it in the All-Star game last year, and they were thinking about implementing it. I believe what happened is it costs like $200 to put a chip in. The NHL says they like being able to, if a puck goes in the stands, the fan can keep it. Or right. someone gives it to a fan, and okay, it's a puck. If it's suddenly it's a $200 chip puck, this is puck. now this is now a problem. So... Um, from a sort of PR and, and fan friendliness. That's, right, right. That's one of their stated reasons why they're not doing it okay. right now. 
Now, it, this is all in, in many ways scientific data. I mean, yeah. this is what you're talking about. Do you think this stuff should be kind of open access? Do you think it ought to be available to the general public? Or do you think teams ought to be able to have their own rights to their data? I really would like to have it all available. <laughs> But I, I don't. I don't think I could come up with a good. After all, there's there's still business. So still business. I have. I have. I can't really say that there's any reason that they should release everything that they have. But it would be nice if the NHL had some of this at a, at a league level. Um, mm-hmm. Release some of these. At least some things. You know, maybe maybe they'd be able to keep some things as proprietary. Right. But but right. if they're really able to do it. But I mean, at, at some level, most of these are the teams installing things in their own arenas that they mm-hmm. own. So, so far as I can tell, the only real argument I would have is that if the arena was taxpayer funded, then maybe I can have some argument okay. yeah. <laughs> to releasing it. But, but in general, I mean, I, I, most of them would probably be foolish if they released all of their data. Well, they might release it like after they have the, yeah. the team decisions when they make their picks. And then they yeah. release data from two years ago. Or yeah, they like could. That. Although still just having that database over time is a, is yeah. a big advantage, right? I mean, a lot of this is just about data. I mean, right. that, that's the thing, just collecting the most data and how, how well you can do it. And, and most of the big advances have been just how are we able to get more data, more accurate data, different data that we had in the past. Um, so, And once you have the data, then there's so many things you can do with it. So it sounds like even if they implement all of this stuff, you're still going to be dependent upon people looking at the videos hand by hand. Yeah, it, that might be it for a while. I mean, you know, it's interesting. There's... Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this yet or not. Two years ago, it was a big deal because a lot of these, the people who had been working on this hockey stuff for a long time, and I, I've only gotten into this very recently, mm-hmm. a lot of them, or at least a small number of them, were hired by NHL teams for as consultants <laughs> a couple years ago. Right. And then last summer, a couple more, a few more were hired. So uh, a lot of these people who have been doing this are actually now employed. Um, and <laughs> so, so we, we had, we, we had a few of these that are, co- you know, a bunch of people at our conference who are consulting or have consulted for NHL teams. So it's interesting hearing them, you know, discuss the experiences or be slightly more cagey with data and things like that. One of the things that was discussed at the conference was this sort of idea of thinking into the future about what might be there, whether or not you have it, right, a- as right. an individual, might a team have it? And thinking about what you could do with data that you might not have yet, mm-hmm. but might be there down and, the line. Down the line. Yeah. So trying to get ahead of the data that might be there, um, I think, is a really... So you're calculating the odds of the data you might have sometimes. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking with Dr. Matthew Hoffman, Assistant Professor of Mathematics at the Rochester Institute of Technology, about sports statistics. Our program is produced by Mark Gillespie at the Rochester Institute of Technology with support from the RIT College of Science. I'm your host, Brian Corberline. Thanks for listening to One Universe at a Time.